0: So for the sermon today, we're continuing on in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in this series for a couple weeks now, and we were in chapter 4 uh, last week, and now we're moving on, and we're going to be in chapter 5. Specifically, we're going to be looking at verses 38 through 48, so you can be open up, opening up your Bibles there, flipping to Matthew, chapter 5, 38 to 48. Uh, and here, this is a, a passage that I would say, certainly it, it's relevant through the ages in a timeless way, but I would say all the more so, looking at sort of the state of our world and, and the church, I'd say this is ever becoming all the more important. And what we're going to see here, this passage uh, that we're going to look at here, verses 38 to 48, you could almost look at it and say, well, is it two passages? Uh, You could look at it as two passages that are very much interrelated, or you could almost look at it as sort of a single whole passage, just sort of with two distinct parts that are very much interrelated here. But what we're going to be looking at is really the theme here in the first part of uh, being mistreated, And how we're to respond. What is sort of the appropriate biblical response when we're mistreated. And sort of I'll I'll even sort of give you what Jesus' answer is here. And we'll we'll talk about this. We'll flesh it out. But ultimately we're not to respond with retaliation. Whatever someone does to us to say, you know, I'm going to get you back. You know, you hit me in the face. Well, I'll get you just as good back and, and give you a good whack to the face as well. But rather in love to respond with gentleness, with kindness, and, of course, to turn the other cheek, as he says, right? So so the first part's going to be dealing with this mistreatment, and, well, how do we, we respond? And the second part here of this passage is going to deal very much directly with the issue of one's enemies, and, in fact, that we are called to love our enemies, right? In Jesus' day, in fact, and we'll, we'll look at this in, in detail, but... Uh, very much the thinking amongst the Jews was, well, you know, you love your own. You love your, you know, your fellow Jew. You love your family. You love your neighbor, as, as they would have put it. And that's certainly biblical, and you should. But the problem is that, that then their understanding of what they thought was, well, with regard to your enemy, you know, whether that's just somebody who's opposed to you or maybe it's all those nasty Romans, right, or the Gentiles or whatever, someone who's your enemy. Well, the thinking of the Jews was certainly you don't love those people. You should respond with hatred for those people. That was the thinking of the day. And, of course, Jesus is going to confront that and say, no, yeah, love, love your neighbor. You're right about that. But, in fact, you're also called to love your enemy as well. And I think that this teaching, as I said, is becoming all the more important for the church. It's been important in a timeless way, right? These are timeless commands from the Lord. But I'd say more and more as we sort of look at our world, even in the West, the Western world, more and more the church is sort of being pushed to the fringes of society. We're being portrayed as sort of these weird people who are filled with hate and they're bigots and they're this and they're that. That's the way in which we're being portrayed. We're certainly not perfect, but that isn't really what we are. Right? And I would say sort of those who are enemies of Christians, who are enemies of Christianity, uh, the number of people who fit that category of enemies of ours is just growing and growing. Are, there are plenty of people out there who have made it basically their purpose in life, their agenda in life, just to basically fight the church, fight Christianity and everything that we stand for, and just to bitterly oppose us. And that's sort of the trend of things. That's the way things are going. And as we see sort of our enemies on the rise in the world, a natural question we should be saying is, well, what, how are we to respond to them? As sort of more and more people seem to be enemies of ours, well, how do we respond to them when they mistreat us? what's our response, right? Are we to love them? Are we to hate them? And so I would say these passages or this passage, these two parts that we're going to look at uh, are very significant for the church today as sort of as the days go on more and more uh, the church is pushed to the fringes and our enemies only seem to be growing in number. And so this is an important passage for us to take a look at and understand and really be challenged to faithfully live out because Uh, loving your enemies while we know we're called to it probably that's not some teaching that's new to us most of us have been in the church for, for quite some time it's probably not something that's new to us but it is something that is often quite difficult to do. If we're really honest with ourselves and we think of those people who are our enemies, right? Whether it's some neighbor who's just difficult, maybe it's your boss or a coworker, worker uh, maybe it's even some sort of group of people, right? Whether it's, you know, those people who are all about abortion and want to, to force that agenda and, and there can be sort of a responsive hatred toward those people and a struggle to love them, or maybe it's oh, you know, all those radical Muslims and they want to blow themselves up and kill us all and it can be all too easy to have that response of just anger and bitterness and hatred rather than to respond with love. And so this is an important passage to take a look at and really be challenged to live out. And so we're going to dive in here. Uh, We'll just start reading Matthew chapter 5, start at verse 38. I'll read through and we'll, you know, as we usually do, march our way through verse by verse, do the teaching and then look at the passage as a whole and say, you know, what does this mean for me? What's my application for this? How do I, what's my takeaway? How do I live this out? And so let's read Matthew chapter 5 starting at verse 38. Jesus speaking here, and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, certainly uh, a well-known uh, sermon of Jesus' here recorded in Matthew. So this is part of that Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and here's what he says, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Right now, here's the reality. That's actually in the Old Testament. So it's not like he's going to go and say, that's totally wrong. Uh, The Old Testament, it's just, it's incorrect, blah, blah, blah. No, of course he's not going to say that. Uh, Scripture is true. The Old Testament is is true and accurate and right. But the problem with the Jews, right, and this is what, what Jesus is going to address in his day and age. The problem was the way in which they applied Right, this command, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So the way in which this command was given, going way back to the Old Testament, was really having in view the the people of Israel, right? And this was a a nation, a nation state, right? You can sort of think of as they're being given the law and they're there. They're in the wilderness at that point, but ultimately they're gonna be moving into the promised land of Canaan, right, and and, and conquer it and take possession of it. And the people of God here, it's not sort of just like the church here where we're, you know. We're people of God, but we aren't a nation state. We're not like a country, the United States of America or some other country, Russia, you name it, right? But for the people of Israel, they actually were a nation state, right? There was a government. God's people had a governmental structure, right? There were civil laws and so forth. And so God is concerned here uh, really about sort of civil matters and justice being taken place. He recognizes for his people, it's not just sort of like the church in today's day and age where we're not a country, but of course for the people of Israel, they were a country. And so there needed to be laws, there needed to be justice, right? And so this is what he's addressing. He's addressing, addressing sort of the governing structures and sort of ensuring that justice takes place within his country, his people, Israel. And so what he's saying, and he's addressing sort of civil laws, right, if someone commits some sort of offense, Right? What he's saying here is that there needs to be justice and there needs to be a punishment, of course, if they're found guilty, right? And there's a place for witnesses and so forth and all of that, uh, proving guilt. But if they're found guilty, then the punishment should fit the crime. That's what this is all about, that whatever the crime is, whatever the offense is, right, there should be a proportional punishment. So eye for eye, tooth for tooth and I would say in fact if anything I think in today's day and age the way people often read this is sort of uh, forcing a strict punishment when there's some sort of crime. And certainly, yes, there is truth that, that part of what's being said here is that a government should not just totally overlook crimes and offenses and just say, no big deal, no punishment, just mercy all the time, and, and, and there's no punishment. But it, certainly, yes, it's addressing that. But more than anything, if you think of sort of the ancient Near Eastern context, the more typical mindset would have been, if you do me wrong, I'm going get, to get you back double, triple, quadruple, and so forth and so on. I'd say more what God is guarding against in this command is this tendency to sort of want to over punish whatever the crime is you know someone goes and they steal and instead the punishment is well now you're going to be killed you're going to be executed sort of a, a punishment that is too strong for the crime and I would say more than anything that's what's being combated here in the Old Testament law to say when someone commits an offense right and they're found guilty in the eyes of the law, the judges, right, as they adjudicate the matter, right, if they're found guilty, there does need to be justice, there does need to be a punishment, but it's a punishment that should fit the crime, that shouldn't be overly harsh, which would have generally been the tendency, but also it shouldn't be overly lenient and just sort of let the person off the hook entirely. But so that's sort of the context of this eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's really dealing with official government and how a government, what their role is ensuring that j- in regard to ensuring that justice takes place. But now what the Jews wanted to do in Jesus' day was to say, oh, this whole eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth thing, I want to apply that to sort of my personal interactions. So if someone, not just sort of the, how the government operates and how they ensure justice takes place, but to say, no, 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 you know, even just personally, someone I know, if they come and they wrong me, why well, not want to go to this verse in the Old Testament and say, well, hey, it says eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So if you do something to me, if you go and you punch me in the face, well, hey, eye for eye, I get to punch you back in the face and that's justice and that's right and appropriate. And so Jews were using this, this was sort of the way in which they understood it was, it was sort of for them justification for sort of seeking revenge and retaliating and saying, if you do something to me, then personally I can lash back out at you and get you back uh, in a similar way. And so that's what Jesus is addressing here. He's not saying that it's inappropriate for there to be this eye-for-eye mindset for a government to ensure that justice is taking place. He would absolutely agree with that and that's the sense in which it's intended in the Old Testament. But what he is saying is in interpersonal re, uh, in interactions, there should not be this eye for eye, tooth for tooth response that that's misinterpreting the Old Testament and what's being said. And so he's saying if someone in a, in a way lashes out and does something to you, your response should be not to retaliate, not to seek revenge, not to sort of take that into your own hands. But of course, as he's going to say, well, I'll, I'll I'll wait until we get there so he says you've heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth but I tell you do not resist an evil person and here Jesus in the sense of do not resist he means don't retaliate that's the sense in which it's meant it's not like oh don't resist evil when there's evil in your world just sort of don't resist do nothing that's not the sense in which this is meant but right when someone wrongs you don't resist them in the sense of don't retaliate don't lash out at them seeking revenge or your sense of justice And he goes on and he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And here what's in view is a slap. It's not a punch. There's a different word that can be used for that. So this isn't, you're sort of not under any sort of threat of life here. It's not like, Uh, Jesus is saying if someone comes up to you and is just beating on you and beating on you, you just got to keep turning, you know, your face back and forth and back and forth, Uh, you know, even to the point that your life might be at risk and you can't defend yourself. That's not, that's taking this to some sort of legalistic extreme. That's not what's in view. We have a right to protect ourselves and defend ourselves. But probably what's in view here, certainly what's in view is a slap, but probably even it's a backhanded slap. Uh, it would have been assumed sort of that that probably a right-handed person is being spoken of. And so if if it's striking the right cheek of the other individual, this is probably some insulting backhanded slap, right? It's not like life-threatening. It's not some great attack against you where your life could be on the line and you get to fight back. This is someone who's just sort of, in a sense, spitting in your face, and they're just going to slap you across the face, insulting you. And Jesus says, well, what should your response be? right, not a response of, hey, eye for eye, you're going to slap me across the face, then I'm just going to get you back, and that's justice, and hey, don't I have a right to do that? Jesus says, no, 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 that's misinterpreting the law. He says, right, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And and really what I'd say, sort of what Uh, sort of the foundation of what Jesus is talking about here is really a response of love and he's really going to clarify that and sort of specify that as we get to the second part of this passage where he talks about loving your enemies but again if we look at it it's sort of really the same situation he's going to directly address loving your enemies but that's sort of the context here already that he's speaking of, where you have someone who's clearly an enemy of yours, and they're insulting you, and they slap you across the face, right, they mistreat you, and how are you to respond? Fundamentally, what he's very clearly saying, which should, should be at the foundation of your response, is a response of, of love, that there should be a response of, hey, I love you, even though you're my enemy, even though you're slapping me in the face, and it's degrading and humiliating, and, and, and there's no place for that, even though you're doing that, I love you, and I want, want to respond with kindness, uh, I want to respond with love I want to respond with gentleness and mercy and so instead of lashing out and saying hey I'm just going to get you back whatever you did to me I'm going to return it to you instead there's a gracious response that loving response that says I'm not going to lash out I'm not going to retaliate and in fact right Jesus mindset here is not like you know if someone slaps you sort of then you can almost you know oh you slap me on the right cheek here you go here's my left one right there you can get me a second time please have at it no big deal Right. It's not to say you should sort of invite a second slap. That's not the idea here of, hey, if he slaps you on the right cheek, then turn to him the other and say, hey, you know, you can get me on the other cheek. That'd be great. I know you would love to do it, so have at it. But rather the idea is, in, in a response of love and kindness and graciousness toward this person who's your enemy, but you're still just going to love them, there's a willingness to be further uh, mistreated, to be slapped again, right? In a sense, as you continue to love this person and not retaliate and not lash out. You sort of put yourself in the position of the possibility, not that you're directly inviting it intentionally, but you put yourself in the situation of possibly being mistreated again and slapped on the other cheek. That's the idea of what he's sort of saying there. And now he continues on. Actually, before I continue on, I want to look at, at John chapter 18, where Jesus really, uh, here, Jesus isn't one who says, you know, do as I say, but oh, not as I do. Right? There are certainly teachers out there who are maybe a little bit of that mindset where they might teach things, but then they live in a way that's very different from what they teach. Jesus actually truly, fully, perfectly lives out the truth that he teaches. And in fact, this is the case for this as well, where we speak of, you know, well, hey, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also, right? Well, does Jesus live that out? And what we see is, in fact, he does. This is John chapter 18, verses 19 through 24, and I'll read it for us. It says, meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who've heard me. Surely they know what I said. Right, a perfectly reasonable response here. You have the high priest questioning him, you know, what, what is your teaching all about? Obviously hoping to try to trip him up in something and find some sort of grounds for, for condemning him. And Jesus is saying, you know, why not just call some witnesses, right? I, I, I've taught publicly all over the place. There are boatloads of people who know all that I've spoken about and said, right? And if this is a trial, it makes sense to have some witnesses. So why don't you go and get some witnesses to speak to what I taught about? It makes perfectly, perfect sense, right? A very appropriate response. And yet, how is he treated, right? Here's what it says, verse 22. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? And then Jesus responds. He says, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then it says, then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Right. So, so basically, it, it, as we think of sort of what's the appropriate response here, someone slaps you on the face? as Jesus speaks of in Matthew, and that's literally what takes place here in John. Someone slaps him in the face. What is his response? I don't want us to think the whole turning the other cheek means you can't confront the evil that's taken place, because Jesus does, in fact, do that. You know, he's very gracious about it and very kind about it, but he says, why'd you do this effectively? He basically says, right, if I've spoken anything that's wrong, then, then you know, testify to that. Tell me how, I, how I've spoken wrong. But if not, then why did you treat me this way? If I've done nothing wrong, then why did you slap me in the face, right? So Jesus does still confront the wrong that was done. It doesn't mean that, hey, turning the other cheek means we're just a total doormat and people walk all over us and we never confront any sort of evil. No, Jesus does still here confront the wrong that that was done to him, but nonetheless, he still does not retaliate. He does not lash out. He doesn't say, oh, you know, you official, you're going to slap me on the face. Well, I'll just slap you right back because, hey, you deserve it. But rather, what does he do, right? He just responds, even though this is someone who's an enemy of his thoroughly, he still responds in a loving, kind, gracious, gentle way, right? He doesn't lash back out, but he does still defend what is right. And so even as we think of turning the other cheek, it doesn't mean that we have to sort of totally turn a blind eye to the wrong that's been done and not call it out in any way. Jesus, in fact, does that. But bottom line, we see Jesus here living out what he is teaching. This whole turn the other cheek, when someone, of course, mistreats you, slaps you on the cheek, and that is what he does. And indeed, even if you think of how that story continues, ultimately he continues to uh, bear mistreatment, abuse after abuse, all the way culminating ultimately in his crucifixion. And again, he doesn't lash out. Right? He's being treated wrongly. He's going to be crucified even though he's done nothing wrong. And he does not lash out. He does not retaliate. He continues to turn the other cheek. So, reading on in, in Matthew chapter 5, now we're at verse 40, and he says, And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, I sort of want to put this a little bit in 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 terms of Jesus's day, you know, today you might think, you know, well, okay, a shirt and, you know, it would have been a tunic, right, uh, and, and the coat or the cloak, the, the outer garment that would have gone with that, you know, you might think today, well, hey, if someone wants to sue you for your shirt, like, oh, great, I have an inexpensive t-shirt, you're really going to sue me over that, fine, have it, and, and have my coat as well, no big deal, it's not that expensive. In Jesus's day and age, those things were certainly of greater value, though still not like they're suing you for all that you're worth. But probably a tunic would have cost, if you try to put it sort of in, you know, it's not always easy to do this, but in sort of like, today's money maybe would be a few hundred dollars, right? So if someone, you know, this is maybe like small claims court kind of a thing, Uh, someone is going to take you to court over this, and clearly the whole context implies that it's like they're wrongfully suing you. You've done nothing wrong, you've done no wrong to this person, no evil, and yet they're just trying to get what they can from you, and they just want to sue you wrongfully and take your shirt or your few hundred dollars, right? It can be easy to have the response of, oh, you're going to sue me, and wrongfully so. Well, I'm going to get the best lawyer out there, and I'm going to file a countersuit, and hey, I'm not going to be the one who winds up paying. It's going to be you, and and for defamation, and this and that, and I'm going to get you back, and you're going to be the one who regrets it in the end. That would be sort of an easy response to have, but again, that's sort of that vengeful, retaliatory response, and Jesus says, no, 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 that, that's not the response that you ought to have, but rather, he says, if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt or your your few hundred dollars, he says, hand over your coat as well. And that would have been more expensive. Probably you're talking, you know, $1,500 again in today's money in that ballpark. Uh, Again, not suing you for all your worth, but still a substantial amount of money. And yet what Jesus says here is basically if someone wants to sue you and they're suing you wrongfully, your mindset should be that you just love this person even though they're an enemy of yours, even though they're out to get you. You just have a heart attitude of love even for your enemies and you just want to respond in kindness. uh, You want to respond with gentleness and your attitude should be, I don't want to be involved in some sort of bitter Uh, lawsuit against you, uh, where we're sort of pitted against one another. I don't want to fight you in this way. I would rather be wronged by you and just give up this shirt than to be in that sort of uh, fight with you, legally speaking, right, and sort of be going head to head with one another. I'd rather be wronged. I'd rather have you just wrong me and take the shirt. So go ahead just have it. It's that response of love that says, I don't want to be your enemy in this way. I don't want to fight you, and so I'd just rather be wronged by you than have that take place. And even to sort of amp it up a little bit, Jesus says, not only that, but it, you should be willing to hand over your cloak as well. Not just a few hundred dollars, but even the grand and a half or so, you should be willing to give that up. Uh, whether it's because that person decides, hey, they're just going to sue you for even more than a few hundred dollars. Well, again, your attitude should be you know, it, it's not like they're trying to take my house and my home, and then I can't even provide for myself or my kids, and I'll be on the street. Right? Again, don't take this to some sort of legalistic extreme of Jesus saying, no matter what the case, uh, we should just hand this over to whoever is bringing any sort of uh, lawsuit against us, and just sort of admit defeat and let them win. Someone could literally be suing you for all your worth, and your home's at stake, and, and and your livelihood and everything. And and in that case don't just sort of cave and say, no, I'd rather that you just have it rather than fight you over this. No, there are other things to consider, responsibilities to a spouse, to kids, to be able to provide for them. God wants us to care for ourselves. So the intent here isn't to take it to some legalistic extreme, but the reality is for most people, you could lose your tunic, you could lose your cloak, and you're not going to be out on the street with nothing. For most of us, you could lose the $300 or so and another $1,500 and your life would still be fine financially speaking. And that's sort of of what Jesus is talking about. If someone wants to wrong you and it's not in some great and grand way, if they want to, to sue you, your mindset should be, I, I just, I love you, I care about you, I don't want to fight you on this, I'd rather be wronged by you. Here, have my tunic, have my shirt, have my few hundred dollars and, and if you're really going to make an issue of it, here, have, have the fifteen hundred dollars as well, have the cloak as well. I don't want to be your enemy in this way because I just have a heart attitude of love for you. That's the sense of what's being spoken of there. And then he goes on. This is verse forty-one. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles, right? And this was something that that could be done. That the Romans could do, right? They were the boss. They were in charge and they could sort of subject you to this, right, you're, you're just sort of an everyday Jew, you know, going about your business, maybe it's the middle of the day, and you're working out in the field, doing doing whatever you're doing, and some Romans there, maybe they need to get some supplies from one location to another, right, whatever their need is, if they have some sort of need, they could, legally, this is what they could do, uh, they're in charge, they can sort of set the rules, and these were part of the rules, they could force you to go and help them, and go that mile, and, and so you know maybe you're there in the field as I mentioned, and they need help getting supplies from here to there. They need some extra hands, and they could say, "Hey, you, whatever your name is, you have to come here with me. Go with me this mile and help me bring this stuff from here to there." You were legally obligated to do that, uh, and, and you could, as a Jew, certainly uh, understand. You know, people wouldn't have taken kindly to that. They didn't love the Romans to begin with, or their you know their, their oppression of the Jewish people. They didn't take kindly to that but even just from another perspective as well you know you're trying to work hard to provide for your family and all of a sudden one of these Romans is going to come along and take you away from your duties that day and make you go a mile and then you have to think about if you have to go a mile well then you also have to go a mile back to where you were originally just to get back to what you were doing and it sort of ruined your whole day and, and your ability to work and provide for your family and so forth. And you could easily look at this and say, this just isn't fair. you know, This isn't a fair demand or request for them to just come up and, and obligate me to do this right just not just not just it's just not fair and yet jesus response right he doesn't say hey if one of these roman soldiers is going to come up and force you to go a mile well hey make sure you get them back somehow whatever that is right retaliate because you should eye for eye tooth for tooth right that would have been the jewish way of thinking in that day and age but jesus says "No, no no that shouldn't be your response right even these enemies of yours you should have a heart for them you should care about them respond with gentleness and kindness and love and say hey You want me to go a mile with you? You know what? I care about you even though you're an enemy of mine. I'll go two with you. No big deal. Not just the one. I'll go two with you knowing also that then I have to go two miles back just to get back to where I was to begin with right? It's that heart attitude of, of just this disposition of love even for our enemies that makes us willing not just to sort of have some unfair request made of us and to follow through on it, but then to say, and I'll go further than that. I'll go above and beyond that just because I care about you. You need help? I'll, I'll go not just the one mile. I'll go two with you, right? That's what he's speaking of there. And then he goes on here, verse 42 Uh, And when we get to verse 42 here, we're not so much talking about enemies anymore or someone who's mistreating you in some sort of way. In this case, it's a little bit more of a neutral relationship where someone's just coming up to you and asking you for something, not implying that they've wronged you in some sort of way. But nonetheless, still sort of that same principle applies of just having a heart for people loving others, whether they're your neighbors, your enemies, whatever, just loving others. And so he says, verse 42, give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you, right? If someone comes up to you and they ask you for something, you know, maybe this is just a beggar on the streets, you can imagine, you know, plenty beggars around in Jesus' day, maybe they were blind or lame, they couldn't work, they couldn't provide for themselves, or there's just no work available, and they're there begging on the streets just so that they can have a little bread and survive, right? Whether it's them, you know, and you have a beggar and they're asking for something, he says give it to them. Insofar as you are in any way able to, to give and meet that need, do so. Right? That's what he's saying. Or, or maybe it's, it's a friend or family member and they're asking you for something. Right? They need some sort of financial help or, or whatever it is. They ask you for something, whatever it is. Again, he says, if you really just have that heart attitude of love for others, your response should be just to say, fine, I'll give it to you. You want to borrow from me? Have it. Here you go. You want something? Here you go. You have it. Right, and again, I don't want us to take this to some sort of legalistic extreme and say, well, I guess if if somebody comes up to me and they ask me for, you know, half a million dollars and if that's, I guess, what I have in my retirement account, Jesus says, I have to do that, so I'll give all of it away, and now, like, how am I going to provide for myself when I'm old and and retired and and can't work and so forth? It's not intended to be taken to some legalistic extreme like that, where now sort of you're out of house and home, right? You have no food. You're on the streets now. That's not the intent, but really you could sort of say and qualify this. If you're in any way able to meet the need of the person Who asks of you, then give and meet that need in love. That's the sense of what what is meant there. So now Jesus goes on as we get to to verse 43. This is sort of the the second part of this, this section, this passage. And here he directly addresses this matter of your enemies. He's sort of already been speaking of enemies, you know, but here he sort of explicitly calls it such, other than verse 42, which is a little more of a neutral. Uh, interaction there Uh, prior to that he's really all already been addressing those who are your enemies who are mistreating you and how you're to respond to them but now he explicitly names them as enemies and tells us very explicitly how we're to regard them and treat them and it's with love so verse 43 says you have heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy.'" Now, the love your neighbor, yep, that's biblical. That's in the Old Testament, right? That, that's certainly true. He's not arguing against that. He's not saying, oh, you got it wrong with that, the love your neighbor. No, absolutely, love your neighbor. But where people were, were wrong and erring, right, and this was sort of teaching from the religious leaders of, of Jesus' day. Yeah, they understood you were to love your neighbor, but then they thought, well, you know, what about your enemy? What are you to do? How are you to regard them? How are you to treat them? And, and the thinking was, hey, these are, evil wicked people, whether you think of the Romans, the pagans, or or the awful sinners and the tax collectors. Well they're wicked people and, and how should we regard them? Well we should just we should hate them. We should hate them for who they are. Right? That was their thinking. Right? But of course they're wrong, and, and nowhere in the Bible does it say, oh, hate your enemies. Love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. That, that's absolutely not correct. The love your enemies, yes, but not to hate... Uh, love your neighbor, but not to hate your enemies. And so Jesus is correcting what has sort of become uh, this popular teaching in his day and age of hating your enemies. And Jesus says, yeah, love your neighbor, great, but let me tell you about how you're actually to respond to your enemy. He says, verse 44, but I tell you Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying, actually right he's saying i can even prove to you and show you how you're wrong in your teaching of this whole matter of hate your enemy right we are to follow god's lead his example right we are to to reflect him and his character if you're going to be his children if he's your father you should be like him and he says let me show you what the father is like in regard to how he treats his enemies right not just how he treats those who love him, who are upright, right, who are faithful to him and his commands. But he says, hey, just look at the sun. Doesn't it rise on both, not just the righteous, those who are upright in their lives, who love the Lord, but doesn't the sun rise each and every day on the unrighteous as well, on those who are enemies of God? Indeed, it does. And think of rain. And oftentimes we might think of rain and it's like, oh, rain, it's so negative. But you have to understand, if you're growing crops, rain, that's a good thing. Uh, And so rain would have been thought of as, as a very wonderful thing and as a blessing that would have resulted in, in a good harvest, and 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 ultimately would have sustained life, and so rain—it's a good thing. And he says, right, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the, and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, right? It's not like God just cares about those uh, who are faithful to him, who obey his commands, and he loves them, but his enemies, oh, he just bitterly hates his enemies. No, he cares for them. He still has a heart for them. Yes, he opposes their evil and their rebellion, but God still loves his enemies. He still loves even wicked people who are far from him, and so he causes his sun to rise on them. He sends rain. He is still gracious and kind and loving toward his enemies, And if we're going to be his children, right, this is what Jesus is saying here, then we need to do the same. If God the Father loves his enemies, right, well, then we ought to love our enemies as well. And so that's what he's saying here. And he goes on, verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? Right, basically, it's sort of like... It's easy to love those who love you. Those who love you and they're kind to you, right? It's easy to respond to them with love. Do you think you're going to have some sort of wondrous great reward for that, Jesus is saying? He said, you know, even the tax collectors, even the low of the low can manage to love those who love them. That's just, that's easy peasy, no big deal, right? Loving your enemies, that's what's difficult, that's what's hard, right? And he goes on, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others, do not even pagans do that? Right here, your own people, more literally brothers, and it can mean, probably it means for sort of both senses, sort of your you're fellow countrymen that is like another Jew, right, if you greet only, you know, fellow Jews rather than Gentiles, Romans, whoever happens to be around can be used in that sense and I'd say that's probably part of what's in view but it can also be brother in the sense of just one you're very close to, sort of family, friends, those who are sort of your people that you love, you care about. He's saying if you only greet your people, those you care about, right, that's what he's saying, you know, is that some great and wonderful thing? Do you think you're doing some great thing? Uh, he says, basically, even the pagans, even, even the wicked, vile pagans who bow down before idols, don't, don't they do that? And the sense here of greeting isn't just sort of, as we might think of, just sort of a passing obligatory, like, hey, hi, how are you? But it certainly involves sort of a, a well-wishing, sort of a, a peace be with you, may the Lord bless you. So there's a well-wishing that's implied in that. And so, you know, for the Jews, again, in their day, it might be, you know, they're sort of thinking as, well, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of respond and greet and, and well-wish my own people that I care about. About, but sort of the other people? No, I don't, I don't want any part of that. And Jesus is saying, well, even the pagans do that. No big deal there. That's easy to do. And then ultimately he closes with this. Be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect right not to say that we can actually achieve that in this life and be perfect in this life but that's sort of what we ought to strive for that that is sort of the standard that's set for us our heavenly father is perfect and that is sort of the example that we ought to follow after and seek after and again if you want to think of specifically related to this passage it has to do with loving your enemies just as is god the father right he loves his enemies right and we are to be perfect as he is perfect then we ought to love our enemies as well and and it can be a difficult thing right it's probably not some sort of new teaching like oh pastor steve i've never heard this before about loving your enemies probably it's not new to you but i think it's something that we do need to be reminded of because it's it's just honestly difficult to do again whether you think of uh you know maybe it is someone in the workplace who's just who's just mean, who's just vicious, you know, maybe he's just out for himself and sort of tramples on everybody around him just so he can sort of advance, you know, in the corporate ladder. Uh, Maybe it's a boss who's just sort of difficult and abusive and rude and so forth, and it's just like, man, it's so hard to love that person, right? It's so easy to respond in a negative way and sort of lash out when they lash out at you, and it can be very difficult to respond in a loving way, or maybe it's a difficult neighbor, maybe it's a family member, you know a cousin or nephew or uncle or whatever and it's like everyone in the family it's like that guy just drives us nuts like what's his deal he's so hard he's so difficult he's just mean he's rude and it's just hard to love him Uh, You know, whoever it is, again, it could be some sort of big people group. It could be, you know, the enemies of our country or of Christians or you name it. It could sort of not be someone you know personally, but sort of some sort of big collective group. And, oh, they're just difficult to love because they're just so mean and cruel and hate-filled, right? But we're called to respond in love. And as people lash out at us to, to still endure in love, to respond with love and kindness and gentleness, that's what this passage is is all about. Even if that means we put ourselves at risk of further wrong, of being slapped again a second time. And I want to read for us one more passage here. It's in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. And here's what it says. Romans 5, 8 through 10. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Right, to sort of simplify this, just to paraphrase it, put it simply, basically what this is saying is, we were all, even those, those of us who are God's people, we were all once steeped in sin, in rebellion to him truly God's enemies and yet what was his response it wasn't a response of oh i just i hate my enemies and i'm just going to crush them and give them what they deserve he rightfully could have done that we deserved that right But his response, even though while we were still steeped in sin, in rebellion to him, right, we were his enemies, even in spite of all that, his response was wondrous and glorious love. Such glorious love that he sent his son to go and suffer and die on a cross for us that we might be saved, that we might be reconciled to him. That's how God loved his enemies, and we're called to follow his lead, to follow his direction. right? If, if, if God has loved us so wondrously even while we were his enemies, shouldn't we also then go and reflect that character of God and say, hey, I have enemies out there and I need to love them even though they're my enemies just as God wondrously, gloriously loved me while I was his enemy as well. And so thinking of application, in a sense it really directly applies to our lives today, this sort of nothing new in a sense, just as it applied to, to the Jews he was speaking of then and basically tells them outright, hey, love not just your neighbor, but love your, your enemy as well. And when people mistreat you, don't respond with retaliation and, and revenge. Uh, but of course keep on loving, even if it means further abuse and mistreatment. Right? That, that applied to the Jews then and it applies to us today as well very much directly. We are called... To love our enemies—it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, it's not what comes naturally to us because of our sinfulness that still is within us, right? Even though we've been changed, we're a new creation in Christ. Uh, you know, our sin nature still lingers. Right, And we still have that sin within us. And and so because of that, it it doesn't come oh so naturally to us to love our enemies. All too often what comes naturally is to want to retaliate, to want to respond with hatred. Yet we're called to love. And so I want to challenge us to, to really live this out. Again, as I mentioned at the start of the sermon, I think all the more so as time goes by, this is going to become more and more and more relevant. As the enemies of Christians just seem to grow in number and strength. More and more, we're going to have to really faithfully live this out as our enemies grow to say, hey, how are we to respond to them? As they abuse us, as they mistreat us, we need to turn the other cheek. We need to respond in love and say, hey, even though you're my enemy, even though you abuse me, I'm going to keep on loving you just as Christ loved me, just as God loved me, even when I was his enemy. But I want to be a little more specific than that in in giving us a challenge and say I'd like for each and every one of us, and I always do the applications myself, so don't think it's just like the pastor gives the application, he doesn't do it and it's just for the rest of the church to do. I always do my own applications as well and, and, and practice them and live them out. And here's what I want for us for a very specific challenge, to take time this week to really think about who your enemies are. Right? Who are those who you could sort of put at the top of the list of uh, sort of like, hey, who are my enemies? Again, I said, as I mentioned, maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone in your family. Uh, maybe it's somebody who was once a friend and now they just seem to bitterly hate you. Uh, maybe it's something else, whoever it is. right? Who are those, put, put together that list of those who sort of view you as an enemy and just seem to have it out for you right, and really do it prayerfully, asking the Lord to, to really call to your mind those who are who are enemies of yours, and then as you sort of put that list together, you know, write them, them down, and this isn't like some sort of hit list, right, who are my enemies, and uh, I'm going to put your name down and yours, right, it's quite the opposite of that, right, it's a love hit list, if you will, uh, but to put those names down and record them and really look at them and say, you know, I am called to love these people, they're tough to love, they're difficult to love, but I need to live that out faithfully again just as God loved me even while I was a sinner steeped in that sin and his enemy I need to love them wondrously and powerfully all in service to the Lord and honor to him all for his glory and just to be challenged in the power of the Holy Spirit to really live that out so that's our challenge that's our application and let's do it to the glory of God Amen let's pray Lord God Lord God Uh, Lord Jesus thank you for this teaching for your sermon on the mount and this specific part of it it is all too easy to hate our enemies they have it out for us they treat us poorly and it's easy to want to operate in terms of eye for eye, tooth for tooth whatever you do to me I'm going to get you back and maybe even then some it's all too easy to have that attitude in our hearts and want to respond that way but you have called us not to respond in that way not to retaliate not to respond in in hatred and anger but rather to love our enemies just as you loved us even when we were your enemies far from you in rebellion yet you loved us and died for us and we're called to go and do likewise to love our enemies and powerfully wondrously so Lord and may we faithfully live that out this week as we Think of those who view us as enemies, who are, in a sense, enemies of ours. Those who are mean, who are cruel, who are difficult, who mistreat us, who seek to take advantage of us. Lord, as we sort of call those people to mind, may it then be a reminder that these are people we need to love and love greatly and may we then be challenged to faithfully live that out. And Lord, we can't do that in our own strength, but Holy Spirit, bring that change that we need in our heart of hearts. Cultivate within us that love for our enemy that we may faithfully live that out and honor and glorify you in it. In Christ's name, amen.